There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. Today we're going to talk about entrepreneurship. Now, most of the clients that I deal with list being entrepreneurial as a key competency they're looking for in most of their employees. They want everybody to, quote unquote, act like an owner. Now, I also find, though, there's not a lot of explanation on what that means. Yet in a large global company, we all know that the bureaucracy and the hierarchy can kill ideas before they get anywhere near the service. So today, we're going to talk about two stories inside large global corporations that have been doing entrepreneurship. And we're going to each is a different context, each is a different corporation. And then afterwards, we're going to look at some of the key lessons learned and advice on what you can do to be more of an entrepreneur, regardless wherever you are. So with me today is Pamela Brown. Um, Pamela dreams of living in a world where people love what they do, achieve meaningful things, create a better place for every one to live harmoniously, healthy, and of course, happy. Sounds great to me. Uh, Pamela is a marketing director that, and she's worked with many brands to help them find ways to connect with their consumers and make a positive difference in their lives. And over recent years, she's helped launch innovative connected home products at Hive, and she supported entrepreneurs finding the funding they need to seize opportunities to grow their business at Aldemore Bank. Many have described her as an entrepreneur. Pushing the boundaries is never an easy task, but curiosity, perseverance, sweat and tears makes this possible. And today, she's heading up a global marketing group and Vodafone's new consumer internet of things business. And there's more to come on that one. So, Pamela, welcome to the show. Hi, Wanda. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show and to talk about this subject today. Really, really excited. Great. I'm delighted to hear it. It's um, I have a lot of people who talk about being an entrepreneur, but you don't have an awful lot of people who've done it. And again, I want to distinguish the classic entrepreneur where you go out and start your own business on your own and receive funding versus what we're calling here entrepreneurship which is acting within an existing large firm. Did I do a decent job of that, Pamela? Yeah, of course. You know, it's really interesting. Some people do talk about it from a corporate entrepreneur, and some people mm-hmm. reference it being, you know, entrepreneurial um, or being an entrepreneur. And it was really interesting because I think I, you know, you Google these things, and I looked up the definition of entrepreneurship. And uh, it really sets out the definition as being defined as the art of acting as an entrepreneur in the firm, finding new ways to create value for the company. And for me, when I read this, there were just so many elements that really resonated with me and meant something to, you know, it meant something to me in terms of what I want to do when I go to work every day. And some of the things that really screamed out were, you know, the art to act create new ways it just sounds really really exciting but I didn't even realize that um you know this this title entrepreneurship existed until probably four years ago four years ago Uh, but I do know yeah four years um but I do know having 
been some of these, done some of these things. So, you know, the art, the acting, the creating new ways, but it's a really difficult job to do. And it's just, it's, it's really not easy. And I, um, you know, I don't profess to be an expert far from it, but I do. And I am lucky that I'm seeing it seeing more entrepreneurial behavior in organizations. Um, I'm supporting it and I'm striving to be more entrepreneurial myself every day. And I really think that this is, this is because of the, you know, the digital disruption that, it, that lots of organizations are talking about not now means that they have to be more receptive and they have to appreciate this new way of, of leadership being collaborative yeah. and open, it, open and enabling people to foster uh, entrepreneurship in the organization. So I think it's really good news for us all. But it's still a hard okay. And I, so I think this <laughs> conversation is going to be really helpful for, for others, I hope. Yeah, I really want to get into the nuts and bolts of what it takes to create. Before we go there, though, I will just make the comment that for a lot of my millennial friends who are just starting their careers, some of whom are in the kind of second phase post a graduate training program, in their careers, and they all want this create something new, add excitement that comes with it. But very few of them understood that understand that it can be done inside a large company. So that's what I think is partly so fascinating about your story. So now I don't want to go into the details because you've done a lot of different things in marketing. But just for the record, starting at BT. Um, 15 years ago in what is a traditional marketing program and then mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. a series of moves and you find yourself at British Gas doing what sounds like a rather basic role as the head of marketing for Dino Rod and you say that's plumbing and draining franchise that British Gas owns in the UK that sounds pretty basic <laughs> yeah that's right I mean the Dino Rod is a plumbing and drains business, and it definitely doesn't sound very exciting. But British Gas actually acquired that franchise uh, brand and entity nine years prior to me joining the business. But it was the first time, and it was fascinating for me, that I um, got to experience a franchise business and getting to know the franchisee owners. And it was quite a defining time for me because, you know, franchisee owners are entrepreneurial themselves. And I spent a lot of time in their offices, going out with them on these really um, interesting jobs, clearing people's toilets and plumbing in their homes. Um, So I saw a lot of strange things as well. But this really made me realize how much passion, dedication and love that went into building successful dino rod uh, businesses. And for the owner, it wasn't just for themselves. Although for themselves, obviously, they, you know, financially were very, very successful, but also for their people, you know, in the office, their engineers and the local community. And it was really inspiring, but, you know, and still a tough job for, for, for the owners. But that was my first experience, really. And, and before that, you mentioned BT. BT, I started there. Actually, BT is a um, telecommunications company and their core business uh, was called, you know, fixed line, making telephone calls. And the internet was just this brand new thing. And it was the, the thing that I'd studied when I was at university. And I went there as a graduate, as you say, very keen uh, to, to work in their new internet division. And we were selling and we were launching broadband. So that in itself was um, the new innovation business for BT. And it's, and it's something, you know, that actually over time overtook uh, the revenues, overtook 
that from its traditional core business. So a lot of things that I that I really really learned there. Um, so it, I guess for me, I've been able to work in entrepreneurial um, businesses that have been part of a big corporate, but also interact myself with entrepreneurs. Great. Great. So that gives you a firsthand flavor to it. It's hard to believe that um, the internet for BT was 15 years ago. It was only 15 years ago, but okay, here we are at that point. So let's roll forward. Here you are working at British Gas, and you get involved in an organization called Hive, which is really a very different game. Suddenly, it's not taking an existing business. It's something completely new. Tell us what Hive was about and how that all came to be. Yeah, that was Hive was fascinating, really. Um, I guess it has been a really defining career, uh, uh, you know, role for me. And it was, I, I joined that team as part of the founding team to build a digital connected home business from scratch. And it later became known as Hive, but it really didn't start there. Um, and it was, it was, it was, it was tough, but it's really, really important, I guess, that British Gas wanted to develop more in in um, connect, the connected home space because that really is the future of the home. And British Gas was a business that was all about uh, supplying homes with heating and electricity so that people could, you know, live life um, well and smoothly. That so everything would be would be smooth in the way that they live their life. So. I'm just trying to sort of think back. So I started working in Hive in about March 2013, and we then launched the, the connected thermostat product in January 2014. So it was less than really nine months, and we, we really built the number one connected homes brand in the UK. And now they have, you know, I read recently that they have over a million customers, which is just incredible. And it was really fascinating because it was, it was 10 months after launch. We actually won a huge accolade, which was the Corporate Entrepreneur Award. And innovation meant so much to us at Hive because it was the starting concept of the business. To be recognized it for, it was unbelievable. You know, it was an energy company, British Gas. It was 200 years old. And we had been described as a market disruptor. We built an innovative app and created demand for an entirely new category. I mean, you know, nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, wow, I just got to get myself a new thermostat. But, you know, eventually people were going out and buying thermostats. So we did it and we were super proud of what the team had achieved in such a short period of time. But I could probably just tell you a quick, um, a quick little story about how. Sure how this sort of came about. So, you know, I really, as I said earlier on, I didn't know much about corporate entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship until about, you know, November 2014. And I, I of course, knew the concept of being an entrepreneur. And I'd seen, the, you know, the Dino Rod franchisees and running their business. And, uh, and I'd heard of entrepreneurs like Richard Branson, and I'd studied this at uni. But, but the label of entrepreneurship really was, was new to me. And at this time, it was about 2012. And I just had my first child, Raffaella, who's now six, and I was on maternity leave. And I remember having a conversation with my previous boss, who was the director of Dino Rod, a lady called Nina. And we had a chat on the phone and she said, you know, we're starting this new business. 
Um, it's going to be called, and at the time it just had a working title, British Gas Connected Homes. And it's all about the home of the future, the smart home, the connected home. And in order to truly innovate, we're going to be lean, agile business. We're going to be separate from British Gas. And we're going to need someone to help us set up our customer insight and understand consumers and develop our marketing and our brand. And for me, it was a really challenging time personally because, you know, I was a new mum and learning the ropes uh, and everything else. And I was quite tired. It felt like my daughter just, uh, you know, uh, cried a lot and slept very much, uh, you know, didn't sleep very much and uh, drank a lot of milk. So for me, I was quite exhausted. But actually, the more I started to understand and read more late nights about what a lean business was um, and how to be agile. And I was just getting into this territory of, you know, the connected home and starting to learn more and more about it. I'm convinced that really, really got me through those um, early days with, with my daughter. And I came back to work and helped to set up this business. And it was truly incredible. And it really was, as Nina said, a separate business unit, a business unit that had its own autonomy, the responsibility to launch a connected home business. At the time, we didn't know what that meant from a product perspective. What we wanted to do was really understand what problems we could solve for people at home and make it obviously related to the British gas core business and the core business um, gas and electricity. So for us, actually, the thermostat was one of the key things, but it was born out of this key insight. And the key insight really was that, you know, energy bills were rising. So customers' bills were rising for them, which was, you know, uh, difficult financially. But also people just didn't know how to control their boiler. And I know that sounds crazy, but often you buy a house and you inherit the boiler and you're never sure how the controls work. And what we started to see in the wider macro landscape was that, you know, that that in our phones, we were controlling so much. We could do our online banking. We could shop with Amazon whenever we wanted. Um, we could organize time chains and organize our lives basically through our phones. And so we decided that why not make a thermostat that you can control through your phone? And that was really where it started. Well, today, um, I guess one of the products, at least that I know from the U.S., Nest, and there are several others as well, a number of providers have gotten into this market. So it seems very commonplace. But to roll back, this was 2012, 2013, 2014. This was new. I mean, brand new at that moment in time. So, you know, I can imagine there must have been people at British Gas who were not convinced that this was a good thing that an old 200-year-old company, a utilities company, knew how to innovate. Did you have any naysayers who were trying to say, we shouldn't be in this business? Um, you know what? I look back now and I think as someone heading up marketing, one of the great things I had was amazing air cover. So the, uh, as I say, there was a lady called Nina and there was two other formidable characters, Kaz and Andrew, who were the senior people that were directly linked and docked into Centrico and British Gas, I would say. They probably spent a little bit more time there and allowing mm-hmm. us as the operational team to build the, the product and uh, the brand and the marketing. So it was really helpful that there were probably not too many conversations we had to have where I experienced naysayers. But there were, there were, there were often difficult conversations for sure, but I probably felt quite shielded and very, very supported when those conversations did arise. 
Um, okay. But the reality was that we had this visionary. British Gas had a visionary uh, CEO, and he really knew that this was the future for the energy company from a consumer perspective. And he could see that um, this was important for its future and made it strategic objectives. And as a result of doing that, we sort of had the license from most parts of the core business. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That's not to say there weren't conflicts, and, and we, we may get on to, to sort of how do you manage those conflicts and the type of conflicts that come up when you're thinking about um, setting up a new innovate, innovative unit. But, but okay. there, there are ways of managing it, I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. you know, were you in the British gas um, facilities or did you move yourself off? And we find that when you have an entrepreneurial effort, you take people off site. Did that happen yeah. to you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We, um, that was one of the things that Nina said to me on the phone at the time. She was like, we're going to be setting up a new office. And it's, why is it really important to have a new office? The office was actually a borrowed office from one of our advertising agencies at the time. So it was, I think we didn't even pay for it. You know, uh, it was very small. But we set it up in London, and the core business unit was just outside London. And the reason we wanted it in London was to attract the right talent. And well, I look back now, and I think it, it really was a dream. We, we had this, the, the ability to go and hire the best people we could find across product management, across technology and development, um, scrum masters. Um, marketing experts, people that had worked actually not just in um, energy sector. Some never had worked in energy sector, but people that had come from startup businesses, from agile digital businesses, and that talent was really critical to the success okay. of the company. And having hiring that type of new talent, you know, if it's developers or people with e-commerce backgrounds, designers, UX, UI, community managers. All of that, we, we needed to, to make sure that we could be attractive. And a London office uh, was a way to do that. And we had a different makes... way of working as well. You know, we were crowdsourcing yeah. ideas from people, whether that was engineers, employees, you know, within the team. And we grew quite quickly. You know, the founding team was about 30 and then grew and grew and grew and got bigger. By the time I left, I think maybe 1,000 people. Um, but we, we needed people that could be really agile in their approach. So, you know, from a marketing perspective, I'll give you an example. A lot of market research is done, tends to be done uh, quant and qual. So qualitatively, you have a focus group and traditionally an agency would run that for you, a researcher. Mm -hmm. Whereas Mm -hmm. what we were doing, we were setting up customer labs in our office and we invited people into the office every week. And as the marketing managers and product managers, we were sitting around the table and talking to customers. We went into customers' homes to observe the way that they were sort of living and they were doing things, how they were solving problems at home and talking to them and their family. And even in some instances, I was just going out onto the street and going to a local coffee shop and buying someone a coffee and asking them some questions and showing them a prototype and getting them to play with the product. So what happened was by being in a separate office and being in London, very uh, cosmopolitan, multicultural it enabled us to break away from traditional ways of doing things and finding new ways to do things and often finding ways to do things that didn't cost us too much money either. You know, buying a coffee yeah. for someone in um, the coffee shop didn't cost me much compared to perhaps a, a, you know, a huge study on a big scale. There was right. definitely a role for that, but this was a, de- this was a, uh, you know, a key ingredient, a key right. ingredient. 
It reminds me back to your days when you were with Dino Rod and you're out looking at people's plumbing and blocked toilets and so on, that sense of being on the ground and getting the live data from what people are thinking and feeling and reacting. Okay, and you said you started yeah. with about 30 people when you joined them and there were about 1,000 when you left. So fascinating. So, And a whole range of people. Um, were there ever – so we often talk about – When you're trying to do innovation, the need to have different points of view, different perspectives. And as you said, you had people from all sorts of different backgrounds, not just traditional energy people, some folks that knew nothing about energy at all. Was there ever a challenge of getting people united, feeling like they were on the same team, talking the same language even? I think that's a challenge in most organizations or any company, whether you're a startup or a big organization. Um, and I've seen it, you know, having worked in whether it's financial services, energy, telecommunications, it does come up a lot. And people, people really is, you, you know, your asset. People are your asset. So I think in times of change, as, as a business grows as well, you need to be clear and communicating the strategy. But we had a very simple mechanic at Hive. And I think we, we just had a Tuesday meeting and it was very regular. It was four o'clock every Tuesday. And as we grew sites, we ended up sort of uh, videoing it and sharing it live as well, streaming uh, the session. But we just had a weekly stand-up. And the weekly stand-up was everybody that happened to be in the office, standing up in the corner, corner of the office. It grew and grew with people. And just having key updates, key updates from across, the technology team, the product team, the commercial team, marketing team, and it could be anything, you know, from a marketing perspective, we could be showing um, some results from some customer testing. We could have been showing the new brand. That was a big thing, actually, making sure that as you develop a new brand and a, a new identity for a product that you're building, it's, you know, really powerful to ensure that everybody's behind that. So you do want to share things. So I think... In a smaller company, I guess it's easier because you can carve out the time and you can. You, we tend to be all in the same location so we could share those updates and, and, and really engage people in creating um, the product, the marketing, the brand. The technology part, I think that was harder to co-create because that really skill set that special uh, people need to, to really... To, to leverage but you know when it comes to things like brand there's a there's a way you can bring everybody on the journey yeah yeah well there is that sense of connectedness that makes it um makes it a fun place to be and i think that's what a lot of the a lot of people are looking for in an entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial effort so i know there were some challenges along the way and one of them had to do with the competition so tell us about that challenge real quickly yes absolutely of course I mean, we know that breaking new ground can never be easy, um, but the energy, passion, people, there are many things that come to my mind when I think about the, the energy that was behind us. It was no coincidence we were an energy company. But opening up an entire new category for consumers is really, really difficult because not many of our target audience had heard of smart home or the concept of the connected thermostat. So there was always lots of objective opinions but we had this formidable competition uh, which was in the states and it stands out for us because we were quite scary knowing that they were going to come over to the UK and that competitor is Nest I think you mentioned them early yeah. on and Nest has launched in the states I think you know a number of years um, prior to us launching sure. and therefore had established 
some of the design credentials, some of the product benchmarks, if you like, for, for a connected thermostat. But they really became a driving force for us. Um, to strive to do something incredible for British Gas and for our customers. We knew they were coming. We didn't have any idea when, um, but they were, they were formidable. That's the only way I can describe them because, you know, they were literally the, the founder of Ness is a guy called Tony Fidel, and he had been the designer behind the godfather, often described the godfather of the iPod. And you can actually see that in the design today. If you look at the iPod and you look at Ness, this iconic circle design um, and the control, this whole new way of interacting um, with this swivel, you know. So that was, and he had a very big PR machine behind him as well. I think there was a lot of love for for Ness, uh, for Tony, his design, whether that was in the technology press, it was in the lifestyle press, in the startup press. I mean, everybody loved Ness. So you sort of, from a marketing perspective, I was looking at everything they were doing in the States and trying to learn from it as well. And some people, mm-hmm. you know, being scared is it's quite a good, I think quite a good thing because you look at it and you could see, uh, from my perspective, it was flawless. I loved everything about it. You know, it was life, it showed the thermostat in, um, in, in situations, so in people's homes to give it context. It was very modern, it was contemporary, it was desirable. And he talked about the intelligent thermostat with its eco mode and it knew your home and it just worked. And that was, that was uh, really something to admire. And then there was the product hardware itself. You know, we had a tricky time up against Nest because this iconic design. And let's be honest, British Gas are not a hardware designer. Um, but actually, yeah. in hindsight, I think we did a pretty amazing job and we worked um, with an amazing designer and uh, really, a really good colleague, friend of mine, um, led that project uh, for British Gas to come up with our Hive iconic thermostat. But okay. how do you beat that? I mean, that's it. You've got, you know there's a beautiful product that's in the States and you know that they can execute marketing flawlessly. What do you do? And that was really, I guess... Um, the challenge for us. Well, there's also nothing like a great competitor, um, almost a bit, not an enemy in the such, but, you know, they're out there, they're looming, that kind of unites everybody behind this kind of common competition. So that can be a good force to get people from all sorts of different backgrounds to work together. Let's roll forward. When you look at the end of this, what are your key takeaways from this experience? Um. Just on that, actually, just talking about the, the driving force, uh, I think it did help us focus our strategy. And there were just two things I wanted to, to really say on that because from a marketing perspective, it meant we, we didn't copy what they did. We found our right. own space and we, start, we developed a design really that was uh, and a whole new world, which was we called it the fantastical world, but it was a cartoon, it was animation, it had a catchy advertising tune, you know, hive controlling your heating from your phone, I won't sing it, but it had Please. a cartoon that stood out, and it was different. So yes, it was a real driving force, and the same from the product perspective. What we realized actually was, whilst we work on developing a beautiful thermostat, actually our focus should be the interaction people have with our app. If we go back to the 
the premise of Hive, it was about how do we help people control their thermostat on their phone because their phone has become the remote control to many things in their life. So that was really what this formidable competition helped us to do, was develop our strategies and make strategic decisions and choices, whether it was software, hardware, or marketing communication. So, um, yeah, I just really... That was a key learning for us when it came to the competition. And in terms of overall, just, uh, you know, the, the key takeaways, I think the first is really leveraging the mothership. British Gas itself had many advantages, so scale. We had, or they had at the time, about 15,000 engineers that were in customers' homes, maybe up to five homes a day. And that gave us a huge opportunity for our engineers to talk about future, you know, the way that you could control your heating better with a connected thermostat okay. like Hive. Um, and, and I think other brands in the space, didn't have that scale, that ability to scale quickly, and that really did help. And you know, okay. when I look at the customer numbers now, to be a million customers, I think that was a key driver. Okay. The second thing I would say is, you know, don't underestimate the power of a competitive market or a formidable competitor. Actually, it was we used that to our advantage. We knew what they had. Maybe they didn't know what we had, um, but we it enabled us to carve out a differentiated strategy. Um, okay. And then the third thing I would say is just be brave and be prepared to fight for something even if the decision is unpopular. And okay. the example there really would be, you know, creating a standalone brand. Everybody, if you work in marketing, you know that a standalone brand can take a long time to build and often quite a lot of investment in advertising. But we fundamentally believed it was the right thing because we had the right data to support that decision. And it wasn't an easy choice for the the wider business to take but with the data and the insight uh, we we did that and we got people on board and excited on the journey with us co-creating it and I think you know that we really reaped the rewards as a result. Fabulous Pamela it sounds like a great fun it sounds like an exciting time both from the competition point of view and the excitement of creating something new. All right we're going to take a break today with me today is Pamela Brown she has been head of marketing at Hive which is a British gas innovation if we as we've just been talking about. She's also done a number of other marketing roles at Aldermore Bank in the UK and she's currently global head of marketing at Vodafone in the consumer internet of things and that's the entrepreneurial project she's working on at the moment. When we come back, I want to hear a little bit about Pamela's experience at Vodafone and a lot more about her now understanding of what it takes to create entrepreneurship in general. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. 
Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Pamela Brown. Pamela is a marketing specialist working in a number of different places. We were just talking about her experience at British Gas, where she was part of the founding group to create um, a a new thermostat, a connected home product that allows you to control the heating on your iPhone or other device, and it was called Hive. She's done a number of other roles in the meantime, including some of her own entrepreneurial work, which we'll talk about in a minute. But right now, I'm really intrigued with what she's doing at Vodafone. So tell us really briefly, Pamela, what what is it that you're doing right now? Yeah, sure. Well, right now, I'm helping to build a V by Vodafone. And V is really about helping you to connect to people and things in new ways. Um, V is an Internet of Things business, IoT. I might say IoT a few times through this. And it's really born from the human insight that when you love something or someone, you instinctively want to protect it. And IoT technology allows you to connect to and protect people and things in, in new ways. So I'll give you an example. It's just effectively Vodafone has a SIM. And if you put a SIM into a device, and that device could be a tracker um, for your, I don't know, your bag, that can then, when it connects over the internet via your phone, you can very easily see where your bag is or if it's not where it should be um, and, and track it down. So just okay. trying to keep that concept really uh, really simple. V by Vodafone launched nearly just under a year ago now. It originally okay. launched with five products. So we have a pet tracker, bag tracker, an outdoor camera, a car, and a car tracker. And we originally launched in the UK, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And then over the last year, we've launched new products, um, a V-Home proposition, which is more akin to Hive, uh, home security, uh, camera, sensors, and things. Wearables, we have an SOS band for um, relatives who you might not live uh, close to, but uh, should they have a fall, you would be detected, and a kid's watch. And oh. Vodafone being such a global business, we've expanded to other markets, Greece, Portugal, Ireland. I've been working there now for about 10 months and supporting okay. them on this exciting journey. 
Okay, fabulous. And how many people are involved at, at this point? So we have, the way the V by Vodafone works actually is a little different to Hive in that it sits within the core business. Um, Vodafone, you know, operates in 25 countries, I think employs over 100,000 people. But on V, we have maybe, we call them sort of the Vodafone family, the key, the key team, which probably about 200 people. And that's 200 okay. people working between 80 and 100% of their time just on V by Vodafone, the IoT product. Okay. Okay. All right. And so then you haven't gone off like you did with Hive to create a whole new separate office somewhere in the world removed. You're still within the same Vodafone facility. Is that true? Yeah, that's right. So I guess it's actually interesting just reflecting on that in itself. And and Vodafone is a much younger business than than British Gas um, set up in about the early 90s. And itself as a business is innovations really at its core. You know, they made the first mobile uh, call in the UK in 1983, I think it was. And it operates at such a large scale, 25 countries, about 46 partner markets. I mean, every um, minute, uh, sorry, every day, I don't know, there's something like 5 billion minutes of mobile calls made. And so innovation, I think, is just inherent in what Vodafone does. And therefore, it makes really to have um, V by Vodafone as part of that. Don't get me wrong, there is definitely a dedicated team and we we work very agile. Um, We're building um, products with partners, vendors, um, hardware and software. And it's really fast paced. I mean, if you think about the number of products that have launched in already expanding from four markets to seven markets in in, in less than a year. It's incredible, actually, to see that growth. And I think that's really because Vodafone's pure scale. You know, whether that's retail stores on the high street and existing customer base that it already has um, contact and a relationship with, um, as well as its technical expertise and know-how in the organization. And so for us in the V team, we really, we leverage and, and work as much as we possibly can with our um, wider business and colleagues in market or in the global team to ensure that we can develop something that is, you know, customers will love. And do you ever feel that that larger Vodafone culture, and I respect the fact that it is quite an entrepreneurial and a new culture, and it's also a technology-based culture, does it ever feel like it's kind of swamping the startup mentality a bit or not? I guess the key thing, I think the big, one of the challenges, um, I guess, for us is actually opening, we need to open up the category of Internet of Things. Smart home is something that's actually very, um, is more established. You know, connected to home products have been around a lot longer than some of the other innovative products I was talking there, whether it's tracking your pet or your bag or um, being able to be connected to elderly relatives wherever they are in the world. That, the concept of putting a SIM card into a device is, is new to people. And so that's a big challenge. And I guess in Vodafone for uh, if you're if you're part of the business where you're responsible for driving the core business, phones and um, mobile connectivity, actually, you know people want that product. Um, people okay. will renew their contracts regularly. And they're looking for the best deals. And so it's 
it's in people's mindset. Whereas okay. the category we're talking about, we have a harder job to do to introduce this to people. So I think the, it's not necessarily a conflict, but I think there are two, it's a different role for us in these by Vodafone to try and open up the category. And sometimes, I guess, if we try to sell and promote V in a way that is similar to, to, to our phones and um, connectivity, then, then maybe consumers... It might not connect with them because okay. we haven't done the job to educate them about what the benefits are of IoT. Okay. So that's a, that's a, that's something that's all, that's that we're working on right now. I can I can see where it's a category or it's a kind of product that people don't yeah. know they need yet or how they would use yeah. yet. And there have been a couple of early entries that I don't think have gone in brilliantly. A couple have, a couple haven't. So it, there's a whole education thing to do to get people to understand what these are and how they would work. Yeah. So, Pamela, yeah. you know, before we end this, let's step out of the Vodafone experience and the Hive experience and even out of your own entrepreneurial company and talk in general about um, what you think it takes to create true entrepreneurship inside a large company. So what have you learned in this journey? Oh, gosh. I don't know where to start on this one. Um, <laughs> it's, I guess, look, in essence, we've been talking about sort of building and growing disruptive businesses, either in, in the core business like Vodafone or outside of the core business like Hive. And we all know that innovation is so important today because of all this digital disruption that's going on out there. And big corporates especially uh, know that they need to either sort of build, you know, new innovative entrepreneurial businesses, build them, or effectively we see a lot of buy acquisition in that space in order to stay relevant to their customers. So we know it's important, but we also know it is difficult. We see that. Um, and I often talk about the emotional journey of being entrepreneurial in a corporate because there are real ups and downs. So you sort of got to be prepared for that. And I don't think um, just because you have the funding or the cool office or the new talent that it's easy. It's still, it's, it's still difficult and there's still challenges that, that need to be faced. And that's really because, I guess, with innovation, it can sometimes present conflict with the core business. And this is why... Often people will talk about the corporate immune system, or I don't know if you've ever heard people talk about that. The corporate immune system kicks in. Um, I can think yeah. of you know a really good example, Kodak. I think that Kodak and what happened with the digital camera. There was an engineer that designed uh, had designed the the digital camera. I think like in 1975, something like that. He designed it, but at the time the corporate immune system kicks in and said, "But if we launch this." product, what will happen to our core business? And we make loads of money on camera rolls and printing. And, you know, we all know the story of Kodak. So yeah, Yeah. there are tons of those. Exactly. It is really difficult for that, that, that reason. And I guess, you know, if it cannibalizes the core offering, um, then that presents challenges internally. There can often be brand conflicts, you know, does the master brand, if the master brand wants to be known for innovation, credentials, but everybody, consumers out there say, I wouldn't buy something innovative from that brand, that can present mm-hmm. a problem yeah. itself. Yeah. Um, and then you sort of have the sales and commercial teams. Again, because it, it, it's probably easier to sell your core business to customers and promote that and incentivize for it than it is this new thing where you're trying to explain something and it's a little bit harder. 
especially in the new category. So for those reasons, I think this is, this is really tough. But the, the way that I look at it to try and overcome all of that, and I talk about sort of the, the four Bs, if you like. The mm-hmm. first is, you know, whether you're deciding to break out and just do it. Sometimes, even if it's a small, it might only be three or four people just testing something. And it could be a smoke screen online. You're testing the concept. You mock up a web page for it. And you see whether you can drive traffic to the web page, whether people will click to find out more. And if the, the concept is p- appealing enough. And if you have that, then you have some data to then go and convince people that it's, that it's something interesting for the organization to do. Okay. And the second... The second, the second thing I talk about is, you know, be a kid again. Actually, true, entrepreneur, true entrepreneurs that I know and see, they probably act a bit kid-like. You know, they're super <laughs> curious. They ask loads of questions. They can be really bold. They can be defiant. Um, they're sort of a, extremely fearless in their pursuit, and they definitely say no when they need to. And even some I would describe as perhaps dogmatic. Maybe people would describe me like that, but this sort of, be a kid again because you just really ask all these questions and you just explore everything. And um, the third I talk about is believe in it. If you can believe in it, it will really believe in it. It will be infectious and you can create a movement. So even if you're, you are working with the, the, the corporate, the, the um, organization, you know you, you are going to convince, need to convince people to do something. And it could be just to approve a decision prove something it could be to support you um but that's we have that's our job and the best way to do that isn't probably by saying to them you know the core business is going to die and this is going to be the savior the thing i'm standing for it's going to be more around trying to convince them that it's a positive it will have a positive impact and trying to make it personal to some extent and just connecting with people really emotionally and in organizations I've been, whether that's Vodafone or Hive, actually getting others to come and experience the customer problem or come and touch and play with the hardware that we're building or the software that, you know, the apps that we're creating. The more you can involve people that way, uh, the more that I think convincing becomes a lot easier rather than a selling job. And then the fourth, I, the fourth one, very briefly to mention, I talk about, you know, try your best to beat the corporate immune system because that can kill things off quite quickly. And that, you know, killing the corporate immune system um, is a tough one, but you need to work it out with your, with the team of people that you're on um, this mission together. And uh, yeah. So I would say that they're the sort of things that resonate with me when I think about how to make, um, corporate entrepreneurship work in, in an organization. Okay. okay. Those certainly resonate in the stories that you've told. This notion of, you know, step out and just go for it, even in both cases within Vodafone as well as in Hive, kind of getting a test concept, getting some data and just building it piece by piece by piece. And even in the power of having a formidable competitor to get you to break out and do something different. And I love this notion of curiosity. We know this is so important for innovation. And there you have it again, that you know willingness to just ask a lot of questions. 
you said in here that you want to try to connect the core of the company, the heart and soul, the core product, with the experiences or with the consumer problems. And one of the things we know in terms of selling anything new is there needs to be a problem that you can demonstrate a solution for. And you've gone right back to that same simple idea here and how you engage the corporation. And I guess that's your best um, tactic for the corporate immune system in general. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As you look, I'm going to ask you a completely different question. As you look to hire people to work for you, with you, as colleagues in different departments in an innovative kind of place, how would you describe the kind of character, personality that you're looking for to be part of an entrepreneurial effort? I think one of the biggest things, I actually had a discussion with somebody about this today in terms of entrepreneurial traits is the mindset for me is the most important and that alongside their technical expertise. So put technical expertise aside because it could be digital marketing, it could be what, it could be anything, but the mindset is so important and the mindset, the best way I can describe the mindset is this a person needs to be able to roll up their sleeves and literally get on with the detail and it might even be a very a job that they did 20 years ago because it was so junior but they are happy to do it because you are building a business from scratch now and yes they might be super experienced but they're happy to do that and then equally as the business grows and as the teams grow and you hire more people they they can step up into leadership roles and that's really hard because you often find people that sort of at a leadership level go, well, I'm just not, I don't do all that stuff. And I have had people before say to me, I don't, I don't do that. I couldn't possibly do that. I don't know how to post on, on a social account. And I think that just tells you a little bit about somebody's mentality. Even if you don't know how to do it, could you find out how to do it? Could you do it? Because, again, you, you're trying to operate in a lean business. Um, so that, you've got to be prepared to do the small task as well as the big task. And then secondly, I just think people that truly believe in what they're doing, so they're passionate. And if you're passionate about what you're doing, you just want to make it the best. Even if you have the toughest competition, even if your funding gets cut in half, um, even if you're just having a bad day, I guess, you you still want to set out to achieve something amazing. So... They're the the key qualities, I think, for me. That alongside, obviously, a technical expertise. And we we talk, and people will often talk about, you know, hiring for T-shape. So making sure that individuals do have deep experience in in one component. And, you know, if it was design, it might be UX design. But in another design role, it could be um, art design. So... Yeah, because you, in a small, that people have to be able to do things. So there's no room for somebody who's just a generalist, I'm guessing, in some ways. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Um, can we just talk about one? I think we have about one minute left. You are starting your own oh. sideline business. Would you like to say a couple words about what you're trying to do as an entrepreneur yourself? Yeah, I would love to. Thank you. I mean, I've um, been working on a project for about three years. Uh, It's called Healthy Hunting. And the premise of Healthy Hunting is really to help people find healthy, nutritious food and places to eat 
um, depending on their personal you know, in, uh, requirements. So some people are eating a vegan diet. They might be nut-free, wheat-free. Um, they might be vegetarian. You get the, the picture. And what, I, what Healthy Hunting helps people do via an app is find places to eat uh, where, where they are. And today it's a very, it's a prototype really that we've launched and it works really only in Soho in London. And um, yeah, we're finding, we're getting great feedback from users. They love using it. Um, but the, I, there is lots of work to do on this project, um, you know, inputting data. And for me, it's really important that I try and find, you know, independent, healthy eateries. Um, so that's really what we've been working on over the last three years. Sort of in the evenings and on the weekends. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. there's lots and with, more work to do. And I think that's the thing of an entrepreneur. you just got to be prepared to do it at any time. <laughs> Get on with the work that needs to be done at any time. But I've met some amazing people through this journey. And, and I guess also for me, having to work just outside, do everything from, you know, whether that was design work to selling to going to meet restaurants to uploading menus into a CMS back-end database. I mean, it's everything. Um, but it's really, really good fun, and it's energizing. And I learn new things about food all the time as well. <laughs> Which great. is a great thing. It was a good thing. And you have an excuse to go to all sorts of restaurants, I can imagine, as well. Yes. Yeah, yes, Pamela, absolutely. there are a couple of things that stand out about your story across the piece. Uh, one of them is just how much energy you have for doing what you do. In fact, that you have a full family and a full-time job, a demanding job, and you're still doing an entrepreneurial business on the sidelines is incredible. And, uh, you know, my hat's off to you for doing all of that and having the energy and passion behind it. But I come back to, as I listen through the stories, both at Hive and now at V for Vodafone, the power of having the initial vision and somebody inside the organization that is fundamentally believing in the innovative effort, the disruptive business, the wave of the future, and willing to give space and air cover for a new idea to really hatch itself. Mm. So I think that is an interesting component. And then I find it fascinating what brings a group of people together to coalesce around an idea and really, truly work in a collaborative, agile, lean way with no resources and a whole host of ups and downs where it looks like you're going to succeed and fail about every other 15 minutes, I can imagine. Um, and the, the forces that bring those people together, either because of some successes with an early product or you know the growth or seeing consumers touch and use something or seeing the brand that's being created or just fundamentally, you know, believing that you got to beat the competition, whatever that force is that brings people together, how powerful that can be. And then somehow I think in all of that, um, it inspires all of us to do the things that none of us ever thought we would be doing in our careers. You know, you, you're willing to sweep the floors if that's what it takes to get this thing that you now believe so strongly in out the door and moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Just, it's inc- actually, just listening back to you sounds incredible to me. <laughs> um, I never thought I would sell thermostats. I never thought I'd sell a pet tracker um, or work on these types of products. So it is, it is incredible. It is incredible. 
Yeah, it sounds like you've got to have fun. Like... The most important thing is have fun on the journey. You, you, as you say, you don't know it's ups and downs. You don't know if it's going to work. You're worried. You're scared. You have to. You put something out there, and even with healthy hunting, you put something out there, and something might not be working about it. But you have to prepare to pivot slightly, change, change something. Um, sometimes fundamental. Sometimes it's a small thing, but just be prepared to to change and adapt. Um, and I think going back to your question about the skill set, that's another key component, adaptability. Yeah. I was going to say that. I think that's one of the biggest yeah. ones, the willingness to get the data quickly, to realize it's working yeah. or not working, abandon it, pivot, shift it, change it, and just move on to the next thing. All right. Well, my guest today is Pamela Brown. Um, Pamela, as you've heard, is a marketing specialist. I love her initial statement that she dreams of living in a world where people love what they do, achieve meaningful things, and create a better place for everyone to live harmoniously, healthy, and, of course, happy. And as you've heard, she has been at British Gas. She's been at Altimore Bank, and she's now at Vodafone on the Consumer Internet of Things, V by Vodafone. Pamela, thanks for being a guest on the show. It was great fun. Thank you so much, Wanda, for having me. It was lovely to discuss this topic with you today. Okay, it's a pleasure. And join us next week for yet another episode and how you can get outside of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.